We are in the last week of our teaching series through the book of Romans. We've been calling it the gears of the gospel because the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament of the Bible, it reads a lot like an instruction manual for how Christianity works. Our word for today and our focus this morning is the concept of unity. Unity, it seems like, you know, a polka dotted uh, unicorn, you know, living on a rainbow, as in, does it exist? Can we, can we ever find unity? It, the world we live in is a polarized, you know, pendulum swinging world. And you pick any subject and it just, it's, it's got plus and minus polar, polarized ends. You take things like, I mean, just recently, the biggest thing back up on the table is conversation about gun laws. And let's just take a vote on that real quick. No, not really, because it would split the room. Uh, you talk about the national anthem. Uh, NFL season has finally, we're in preseason and praise God, I love football season. Um, but you know, it, like it's back, and it's, so what are we gonna do about the national anthem? And who, do we like Colin Kaepernick? Are we gonna buy Nike anymore? Like there's this whole thing, even, especially in, among Christian circles, but around the world, like where's this gonna go? There's so many other things. Uh, national security is a big issue. Uh, child immunizations, let's talk about that. You know, like just go split the room. All many things we do, and then other things. Do we like cats? Do we like dogs? Like, let's figure out which one's best. Is it PC or is it Apple? Is it Samsung or is it Apple? Is it Google? Is it Apple? Like, why is everybody fighting with Apple all the time? Like, there's this division and polarization, and we're swinging the pendulum. You pick a topic, you can divide a room. I was listening to a comedian recently, and I won't try to recreate his act because he was way funnier than me, but he was talking about this idea, and he said, do you remember back when you used to be able to like more than one thing? It was golden air. It's like, I, you know what? I think that Coke and Pepsi are both pretty okay, right? It's just like, it's okay. We don't have to fight over this. And, and it, I think the Republicans are doing some good things. And I think the Democrats are doing some good things. But when you get like on a certain conversation level, in the world we live in, it's like black and white, opposite sides. And if we can't be on the same team, you know what happens? You're my enemy. And I don't believe that that's what God intends for us. And I definitely don't think that's what should happen within the church among believers. You might be here this morning and and are just kind of checking out church. You're here with a friend or it's been a while. And you're still kind of, I'm not sure where I am on my faith. And so maybe for you, you're not sure if you would even call yourself a Christian. And that's okay. I'm glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to kind of be on that faith journey and grow. But I want to let everyone else in the room today who would say, I am a Christian, to know it is your role to find unity among other believers. Which brings us back to our study through Romans. Uh, We're calling this the gears of the gospel because it's about seeing the basics, these major cogs of how Christianity works. We've talked about faith. We've talked about grace. We've talked about God's Holy Spirit, which is his presence that comes and lives among us and moves in us and helps us change. Uh, Last week, we talked about when God comes into our life, the transformation that takes place in that and all of these things. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to get to the last section of the book of Romans and see God's main... uh, Paul's main purpose for writing this. What does it look like for this mechanism of God's love in our life to produce some things? And one thing that this mechanism produces is unity among believers. So to do that, we're going to skim through the last three chapters of the Bible, of the book of Romans, rather. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to be starting out in chapter 13. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some free ones over on the shelf over here. You can feel free to grab one, the gray shelf by the door. We're going to be kind of flipping through Romans 13, 14, 15, and 16, just small chunks of each one, because that's a lot of 
uh, area to cover. And as we get in there, uh, in chapter 13, starting at verse 8, we're going to look at the biggest cog in the middle of this mechanism that's going to drive the whole thing. I mean, it's basically like the crankshaft of the whole engine. We're going to get in there, and we're going to see what is it that God can do in us that can lead to unity. So here we go. This is Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. There's so much we could say here. Uh, First, a little background. The social and political climate of first century Rome, which is where the people are who he's writing this letter to, it was rough for Christians. And, And it actually got more rough as time progressed. There was this pressure happening. The first pressure that was really hard on them was what I'm just going to call pressure from the outside. The culture around them was pressuring the Christian community because they were kind of living differently and they were saying, we don't like it. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where there is actually some really hardcore persecution of the church. Christians are being killed, uh, crucified, hung up, put, put up on, you know, sticks outside on the city. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Um, It gets to the point where the government begins to officially persecute the church. Like, it's bad. This is pressure from the outside, and it was hard. And as we translate this to modern-day culture, I would, on one hand, say, I don't know that Christians are really persecuted that much in America. We've actually got it pretty good. One of our basic tenets is the freedom of religion. However, when you look at some other parts of our culture, you'll see that it's, it's a big push to remove God, especially Jesus, from the vocabulary of our public institutions. And, and so there is still, for us, pressure from the outside. And so much like the Roman church, we see this pressure from the outside. The other pressure we see in the Roman church is this pressure from the inside. Because like I already mentioned, there was this division between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians. And it's one thing for the government or for some outsider from down the street to come into your life and say, hey, dude, your faith is stupid. Like, we almost expect that. If we think that everyone in the world is just going to agree with us and believe the same thing we believe, we're living in la-la land. It's not going to happen. That's one thing. But when someone from inside your community of faith, someone you trust comes to you and say, listen, what you're doing is not good enough. And it doesn't count. It hurts. And Paul gives us this instruction. Let's go back to that scripture. He says one word that's supposed to put everything back into place. The word he says is love. And he says, let no debt remain outside our debt for our love for each other. The concept is this. If we are in church community together, we owe each other love. If you talk about debt from a biblical standpoint, like financial debt, it seems that God prefers that we stay out of debt as much as possible. But what what Paul says here is like, no, there's one debt that you have. The debt that you have is the debt to love one another. And you gotta do it at all costs. When the church begins to fight against itself, it begins to damage the very body of Christ. It's kind of like uh, I do a lot of building and working, and have you ever hit your finger with a hammer? And it's like the first thing that comes through my mind is, not the first, I'm not going to tell you the first thing that comes through my mind, but like the thing, I'll translate it. The thing that comes to my mind in translation is this, that hurts, and that was stupid. (laughs) Why did I hit myself in the finger with a hammer? Do you know this? When we as a church, the body, injure ourselves, that hurts, and that's stupid, And when we get into this process, like if I hit my finger, like 
I'm gonna have a big blood blister underneath my fingernail, and then I'm not gonna be able to work at full strength after that until my, my hand heals. And the same thing happens within the body of Christ. If we take shots at each other, note, I'm not saying just within this room, but I'm talking about Christians like around the community, churches you've been part of in the past, around the world. When we take shots at each other, it hurts the body, and we can't function at full strength. Now, there is more that unites us as believers than divides us. Our common need for a savior, our decision to make Jesus Lord, that, that is what the church is. But I wanna kind of give us a little bit of a challenge today. And this is not gonna hit everybody the same place, but I think it's gonna hit a lot of us. Um, let me ask you a question. Okay, prepare for this. This might, this might be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Do you have a sore spot somewhere in your soul because of something that happened from a church person? Have you ever been hurt by the church? The church at large or like an individual? Sadly, I think a lot of us could say, yeah, I think we have. And, and, and what do we do with that? I've got friends who are anti certain denominations. I've got friends who are anti-church, anti-God, because something that a Christian did, whether they realize it or not, that really damaged them. It really hurt them, and you carry that with you. And so I've got a challenge for us. We've got to admit they're all part of one body. So this week, as you drive through town, and as you cruise the internet, as you're scrolling through your feed, whatever social media you're on, and you drive past the church, denomination, group of people that have hurt you, as you see their face on social media, or you just think about them this week, we owe a debt of love to them. Not because they did anything for us, but because as Christians, our goal is to model what Jesus did. Uh, he, he loved us even though we were sinning against him. And so here's my challenge. Very simple. Begin to pray for that person. In fact, you might need to do some soul searching. You might need to step back and go like, what are some things maybe I could have done differently too? Begin to pray for that person. It's very difficult to stay angry at something that you're praying for. And what happens is the body of Christ can begin to heal because you, as an individual member of the body of Christ, can begin to heal. I can't promise that those relationships will be restored. That person may not be interested in talking anymore, but maybe you can, this is just a first step, the prayer thing. Maybe you can also set up future things, like I just need to call them, just need to write them a letter. Maybe you owe someone an apology. Maybe you were the person that did the hurting. But when it comes to unity in the church, it begins with us going, you know what, I got a debt of love to the body of Christ because we're the same body. And the more we begin to do that, the more we can begin to heal um, now, here's the thing. That, what I just said, could probably be the sermon in and of itself. It really could. We could pray. We could go home. But we've actually only read one verse. Um, so we've got to read some more because I want us to get into more Romans. Uh, and I was saying that to me as much as to anybody. We all have this, and we need to work through it because God's body needs to be healthy. But let's see what Paul suggests as, as, suggests as we move on. We're going to kind of skip ahead a little bit and get into verse 11 now because uh, he's going to let us know some specific things that are going to help. Look at verse 11. He says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Paul's there, we're gonna keep going. I just wanna kinda, we, we live, and I'll say we, like the world, humans, we live as, as, as if this world, this like 
flesh and bone and brick and mortar. Like this that we see around us is all that there ever will be and that this is gonna last forever. Um, The reality is, and what Jesus teaches is that this is temporary. This world we live in is temporary and it's not gonna last forever and there's actually an eternal home waiting for us and there's eternal consequences for our soul way deeper than what's gonna happen to our physical bodies and he wants us to know that. So uh, we need to do this understanding that the present time, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. There's eternal things coming soon. Verse 12, I love this analogy he draws up. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, these are basics. Like, if we want to live for Jesus, these are the basics. And I could talk a lot more about those individual specific sin issues that Paul brings up, um, but I want to challenge us again. Look at that list. Is there, take time this week, I've said this several times throughout this series, to open your Bible, get out your pen, your highlighter, and your notebook, and be like, what are the areas in, in that list that I could work on? What are some things that I personally could work on? Because our goal is to live a life that honors God. And I love this analogy he draws up. Kind of he talks about um, as if walking in the daylight or walking in the night. This daylight and night thing is a great analogy because I think a lot of times we live our life and we do the kind of sinful or sketchy or not so good things. We do them, you think about the like, the cartoon burglar that's like in comic strips and like old cartoons. You know what I mean? Like the sketchy looking dude with like the five o'clock shadow and he's got that weird little uh, like burglar hat on and he's wearing like gloves for some reason. He's wearing all black or maybe he's wearing black and white stripes because he broke out of prison. You know, is that, that like, like that iconic burglar and what is he doing? He's like sneaking around in the shadows and he's like, I'm getting away with this. And I, I think a lot of times we kind of subconsciously we live our life that way. It's the whole concept of like, well, don't cuss in church. I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I, when I meet people for the first time, I normally go as long as possible before I tell them I'm a pastor. Not because I'm ashamed of it, but because it totally affects how they talk to me and treat me. They treat me like I'm an imaginary person. And they're, you know, it's like, oh, sorry, pardon me. I'm like, I mean, don't apologize to me. Like, you, you, you didn't hurt my feelings. Like, it doesn't bother me. And because and, we sneak around and we're like, There's, as long as we avoid certain people in certain places, I can do whatever the heck I want to do. And Paul says, look, no, live a life like you're walking in the light. Like everybody, because God can see what you're doing every day. So let's not pretend like people can't see it, that, other, that God doesn't see it. And guess what? If you've lived long, we're not fooling anybody anyway. Everybody knows our heart. It's, it, we're transparent. And so he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love the other word. He says, clothe yourself with Christ. But we're talking about unity today. Why is this section about sin and stuff in the unity section? It's interesting. Um, I really wrestled with that. I was like, this, I felt like this should be maybe two sermons. I don't know. And then as I read it all in context, I was like, no, it all goes together. The idea of some things being right and some things being wrong are actually the things that allow unity or disunity to happen. I could take a poll right now. In fact, I'm gonna do this. I never do this, and so this, but this one I don't think is very dangerous. Raise your hand if you think that some things are wrong. Sweet, we have agreement. Okay, raise your hand if you think that some things are right. Now, if morality worked that way, we would always be unified. 
But here's the problem. I might draw the line right here about something that I think is right in a given topic. And you, you're a good person too, but you put the line here. And suddenly the thing that we just agreed on, that there's a, there's a line, the thing that we just agreed on, now we disagree on. Because where is the line? And this is actually exactly what Paul is dealing with with the church of Rome, and I think it's exactly what we deal with every single day, and it's the thing that pulls us apart as a kingdom because we're not looking to find the things that unify us. We're finding the things that separate us, and we draw the lines in different places, and Paul talks about it. He gets into chapter 14, verse 1, and he's like, what do we do? Because obviously, we'd look at that list and be like, yeah, some of those things are wrong, but where's the line on those things? Our goal is to live a life that honors God. Where exactly is that line? on each, every single specific issue. Look at verse 14. He said, I mean, sorry, chapter 14, verse one. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Time out, I wanna explain that. For this group of Christians living in Rome, the big thing that they were struggling with was this conversation about, uh, so, so a lot of these uh, Christians had come from a, a background where they had been sacrificing animals to idols. So they were idol worshipers. And so here's what would happen. You would, have, you would sacrifice, let's say, a, uh, a cow to an idol. And, for, and people worship that idol. And this whole thing happened. And if you were a Christian, you would step back and be like, well, that's not good. I don't think we should worship that thing. Uh, and then what would happen is that meat is now done. It's cooked medium rare. And they take it out. And then they take it to the market. And then they sell it at a cheeseburger stand. And there were Christians who were like, we can't eat that meat. Can I eat that meat? Because that meat has been sacrificed to idols. And a lot of people were like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we don't want to partake in anything that had to do with the darkness of that moment. But then there were other Christians going like, well, we don't believe that that God exists. We don't believe that that worship is valid. And as far as I can tell, this is just cow meat, and I like cow meat, so I'm going to eat it. And so there's a division there. And I, know that, I don't know if that sounds crazy to our modern culture, but that was like one of the primary divisions in the early church. Do we eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? It also just shows how much idol worship there was in, in that area. Now for us modern day, we, we don't have that issue with meat sacrificed to idols. Modern Christians run into other issues. Uh, one that's very common in the church is the use of alcohol. Because guess what? Alcoholism is a problem. It has ruined families. It has killed people. It has destroyed father and son, mother and daughter, and flip all the other things, relationships. Destroyed marriages. And so you may have grown up in a home where there was bad use of alcohol, or maybe you yourself had an addiction, you had a problem with it, and so you come into a group of believers, and there's alcohol use happening, and you're like, I, I became a Christian. Like, I put all that behind me. In your mind, like, that's walking in the darkness. Then you come to someone else who's like, you know what? I didn't grow up in a home with an alcoholic parent. I've never struggled with alcohol use myself. I like the taste of a nice red wine or a glass of beer with my dinner, and uh, I don't see any problem with it. I looked at the Bible, don't see anywhere where it says you can't do that. In fact, I see Jesus turning water into wine as his first miracle, and there's all this whole argument. You're like, it seems to me like this is fine, and then all of a sudden, there's a denomination split because I can't agree on this. Now, Paul goes, to, and there's all kinds of other things. We could talk about different doctrinal things. You might have grown up in a church where they talked a whole lot about the Holy Spirit and different things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, healing and speaking in tongues and all these other things, which, by the way, all of those things we do see in Scripture. You might have grown up in another church family, someone else going, uh, you know what, we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit at all. Those are the weird people, and like they do, their church services are way too long, and, and blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, you know what? Both are okay. We can't deny the Holy Spirit, 
But there's no like, like mandate in here that says, you know what, at least 70% of your sermons need to be about healing through the Holy Spirit. It, do, it doesn't say that. And suddenly we've drawn the line here or here and we can't agree, boom, the church is divided. A, a couple decades ago, and it still goes on today, it was, it was about the style of worship in a church service. What is acceptable? Is it okay to add a piano with the organ? What if we then bring in a guitar? What if there's more than one singer on the stage? What if we then have drums? There's you know, tracks playing along with the band and a sound system and it's too loud and it's just a concert. It's all about the show. And the next thing you know, we're just judging people left and right. And I don't go to that church because they're just about the show. It's like going to a concert. And in the meanwhile, they're over here like, praise Jesus. They love it because they're in the zone. And guess what? Because you drew the line here and they drew the line there and we're divided. Is anybody wrong? Maybe not their opinion, but probably someone's approach. So Paul does this thing. He, call, he, he calls these people out. He calls one person the weak person and one person the strong person. And right off the bat, we suddenly identify with one of them. And guess which one you probably identify with? The strong person. That indicates, I'm right. Paul's goal, I don't think, was to say, look, there's some, you know, like they're strong and weak and that, it's like, that means you're just right or wrong on those specific things. I think it's more like this. I think there's a moving scale. It's very relative when it comes to the strong and weak thing. For example, I would consider myself a very conservative person. Like, I mean, uh, biblically, uh, I don't know, ethically, politically, like I, I kind of lean conservative. But I know some people who are super conservative and they look at me, they're like, dude, you are such a liberal, <laughs> you know? And I, and I got liberal friends who are like, dude, you're just a fundamentalist wacko. I'm like, what, really? I'm like, you know why? Because it's all relative to who you're talking about. So when you hear strong and weak, I want you to understand this. This is not saying just because you feel like you have the moral high ground or the better scripture, like your stack of scriptures is taller than their stack of scriptures so that you win. Like, it's not about that. It's just that, you know what? We're gonna learn something here. So let's look back at verse one. Except the one whose faith is weak, because this is the brother or sister that you disagree with. It's not that they're wrong. Paul's not saying they're always wrong. It's just that based on your understanding and your growth, maybe your maturity, maybe they are weak compared to you, but accept them without quarreling over disputable matters. These are non-essential. We're not saying Jesus didn't raise from the dead. We're not saying Jesus didn't come to earth as the son of God. We're talking about secondary issues. These are disputable matters. Verse two, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats anything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. He's accepted them both, and then he, he gives this great analogy. For who are you to judge someone else's servant? By the way, in this analogy, God is the master and each one of us is the servant, okay? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. We can be divided by so many things, but God has, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, if you call yourself by faith a Christian, and you've done everything in your faith ability to do that, guess who your master is? It ain't me. It's Jesus. Now, I might be able to look into your life and say, you know what? I think that there's more that you could do to grow your faith. You can take those steps. Maybe you can have a better understanding of this scripture, and I can help guide you through that. But you don't answer it to me. You don't answer it to any of you. Jesus has become your master, and you are that servant. Now, so many different directions this could go. 
But the main thing about this is we cannot let non-essential things divide us. The very last thing Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross was that his people would be unified. We've got to seek peace. We've got to seek unity. What this means is we gotta listen to each other. I had an awesome conversation with a very dear friend of mine a week or so ago. And we, we had an interesting issue similar to this where we were kinda, we had drawn a line in two different places and, and, and we heard each other out and we listened. We talked about it and you know what I realized? I realized that I had inadvertently been wrong about something. And it's not that what I was doing was wrong or even sinful. It was just like, you know what, I hadn't considered that. And this person helped me see that. And if we had not taken the time to just sit and talk about it, we would have never known. And, and who knows that we might eventually become divided over it. It was bothering them a lot. It wasn't bothering me at all because I didn't know it existed. We've got to listen to each other. We've got to take the time to talk. Because we're the body of Christ and we can't fight against ourselves. Verse 19 resonates in a situation like the one I just talked to or one that maybe you need to deal with. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. Remember, we can hear their food situation. You can replace it with whatever line drawing issue you have. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Don't stand in the way of somebody else's growth. Don't stand in the way of someone else's worship. It is better to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. We, we do, God does have some standards for us. Um, there are a few things I wanna mention here. One, it's true. We are going to draw the lines in different places and disagree, and we're gonna have to find ways to talk about it and find unity. The other side of this is it's true, and th this is where this becomes not so black and white, and we have to realize there's gonna be some work here. The other side of the equation is this. Some things are wrong. Some things are sinful, and it's very popular in our culture to say live and let live, or, or just do whatever makes you happy, but the reality is if we do love each other, and we have a debt of love, if we see a brother or sister that's doing something that may potentially be pulling them away from God, they put their faith in Jesus, they're trying their best, but they're also doing this thing that's just like counterproductive to their faith. We actually do have permission to walk into their lives and be like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, I'm seeing you're living this way. And here's the thing. I've been on both sides of that conversation. I've received it, the, the instruction and the encouragement. I've, I've had to help give it. It's never easy. But we've got to teach truth in love. So I don't want us ever to read this thing being like, sweet, this is great. This is the, this is the progressive liberal church I've been looking for because now we get to do anything we want to do. We don't. God sets the rules and then we do our best. But the deal is we've got to give people time to grow. We've got to give the room for them to experience. And then we've got to open the floor for conversation and none of us are allowed to dig our heels in because we're the body we're working together and our goal is unity our goal isn't necessarily agreement does that make sense I'm not a big fan of the phrase agree to disagree but it kind of fits here it's like there's a point at which it's like okay I see where you're coming from here's what I'm going to do I'm not going to stand in the way of your spiritual growth okay I'm not going to do my best to, to not do that let me know if I do and Hopefully they'll do the same for you. And verse five gives us this great wrap up to this idea. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, listen to this, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our ultimate goal, the ultimate product of all these gears turning is that we bring glory to God together. The goal is unity. And that's what the body of Christ can achieve. I was tempted just to end right here today uh, as I kind of wrote up my stuff and was getting ready and just, okay, let's pray. But then something else happened. I looked and realized that we hadn't got into chapter 16 yet. And I wanted to be honest about getting through the whole book. And if you look at Romans chapter 16, in fact, if you've got a paper Bible, just flip there or on your phone, you'll see that Paul does something interesting there. This is how we're going to close today because it's a really cool way to wrap up this whole series and to see the unity of the body of Christ in action. Paul goes through this list and he just, uh, he starts talking about all these people in the church of Rome. You see it there? Like he's like, uh, you know, I want you to greet I want you to greet Priscilla and Aquila. I want you to talk about a bunch of other people that I have a hard time pronouncing their names, you know, and, and Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding. He greets all these personal people. And as I've taught through different books from Paul, many times I get to the last section, I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, I don't know how to teach that. Like, what's the biblical thing? But then I realized something. I wanna, I wanna now at the end of the series, kind of come all the way back around and make a correction to our title. We've been calling this like an instruction manual for the gospel, and it is. It is. It's very instructional on how, like, the gospel works. But it's not just some abstract instruction manual. Like, if you've ever used a real instruction manual to, like, put a little kid's bike together, you realize those things are, they have no love and no life in them. Like, in fact, they're written by people who barely know the language that you speak, and it's really difficult to follow those instructions. This is not an instruction manual like that. Paul wrote this to people he loved, people he knew with specific things in mind and specific people in mind. So he names all these people. And it got me thinking, we are still that same church. Venture Church, we celebrate six years next month meeting together. We are still that same church. And guess what? Just like Paul was away from these individuals that he says hey to, there's a lot of people who have come and gone from our church. They've moved away. They're in different places. They're serving the Lord in different places. Some of them, uh, I talked to a friend last night who was a big part of our church, and he's struggling right now with his own faith. And I love that he called me. Because he's like, because he feels the connection is still there. We are family. And so I thought it would be a great way to end this series by kind of taking a page out of Paul's book here. And we don't know these people. We don't know their stories. We don't know much about any of them. But we do know some people. And I, I, I texted a whole bunch of people who have moved away from Wilmington, who used to be part of our church family. I said, hey, we're wrapping up the book of Romans this week, blah, blah, blah. Here's the deal. Would you mind getting on your phone and shooting me just a quick video message to say hey to your church family? to encourage them and let them remember that the body of Christ is more than just what meets here on Sunday morning, but we're spread all throughout the nation and all throughout the world. And so uh, nine individuals got back to me. Some of them are married couples you're here seeing in just a second. But I want you to know, guys, the church is still alive and well, and the influence of Venture Church is still going on outside of the city. Turn your eyes to the screen. Hey, what's up, Venture fam? This is Nathan and Paige Myers. Still hey, feels kind of weird to say. But, uh, you know, we really loved our time of venture. Uh, really, you know, the sermon series from, like, at the movies to the community involvement really gave us a great sense of community while we're in college and while we're trying to figure everything out. Uh, people that you know, helped us along from dating through engagement to now marriage and everything in between, um, like, the little conversations that, you know, you guys might not remember, but that made a big impact in my life and I know her life. And so... 
I can't thank you all enough for everything you did for us, and so excited to see you guys again. Love you guys, miss you guys. Hope to see you soon. Bye. Hey, Venture Church, it's Logan Penny, and I just wanted to take a couple seconds to tell you guys, hey, uh, that I miss you. I love you guys. Um, I'm thankful for everything all of you did for me uh, and my friends while we were down at UNCW for being our community and church family. Um, it was a really great experience. Love you all. Right now I'm at Campbell getting my Master's of Divinity, so I can be a preacher. And thank you also for giving me the opportunity to come and speak with you guys. Uh, but yeah, you guys are awesome. Love you all, and I hope to stop by and see you all soon. We're Doug and Kim Gear. We're coming to you from Western North Carolina, almost 4,000 feet high. And of light squirrels and 250 waterfalls. And even though we are on the other side of the state from you guys, we still love Venture. You meant the world to us when we were there. The teachings, the worship service, the music, the fellowship, the friends have not been matched anywhere else. We love you all. We love you. Come visit. Hi, Venture family. I just want to say I miss you guys so much. I'm living out in Colorado right now and things are great. Um, Venture was amazing for me. It was the place that I started going back to church at, so it will always be my home church. Um, I Even though I, grow, I go to a great church out here, but I feel like Venture will always be my home. Um, so I just wanted to say I miss you guys. I love seeing what God is doing through Venture and keep on keeping on. Hey Venture, I'm Justin. I'm Tori. Venture was really an outlet to kind of get away from school. Venture was a way for me to meet new people, um, and I really appreciate all the friendships that I was able to make while I was at Venture. And for me, going into college, it was really about making my faith my own, because growing up a pastor's kid, you know, you're expected to go to church, you're supposed to be there. Um, so it was really cool coming to college, and I was really excited to find my own church and get plugged in, and Venture was just such a welcoming place, and it was really cool being a mobile church, getting to become part of the setup team and be part of that community and I'm just so grateful for Venture and being able to just hang out with you guys and I know I can speak for me and I'm sure for Justin too but we miss you guys a lot. We love y'all. Hello Venture Church, it's Caleb Darden. I'm here at Max Out Camp this week. Just wanted to tell you all how much you meant to me. Um, all that I learned at Venture for two and a half years and to learn how to be a better bassist and just a better person all around. I appreciate each and every one of you guys. And though I am in Charlotte now, I do miss each and every one of you, but I'm getting the opportunity to share the gospel with a bunch of seventh graders every week during the school year. Right now I get to chill out, it's summertime. But I do miss you guys. It took me forever to find a church that I like just as much as Venture. Um, and still, I'm not quite sure about it. I'm gonna try that again. And that's just a few of the stories. Several weren't able to get back to me uh, in, in time to get here this morning. You might not have known some of those faces because you're maybe still fairly new or maybe you didn't get a chance to meet some of those. I want to point out that over half of those were college students who now are adults, uh, living full-fledged adults' life, life, a couple of them married. Uh, and just to show you the impact of helping a college student find the anchor in the local church could have on their, their future. So thank you for those who invested in them. Church family, we have a special thing here. And we get to find unity together through Christ. And it's been a joy going through the book of Romans with you uh, over this summer. I look forward to the rest of this year. And I want to encourage you, as you go out today and, and, you, and you impact the, the people that are in your sphere of influence, remember, 
to put on the armor of light, to clothe yourself with Christ, and to take that into the world, even the places where you're weak and are struggling and are trying to get through. Lean on each other. Have conversations. Let's give God glory together. Let's pray.